Well, it's April 8th today, 2018. The title of today's message is The King's Highway. The King's Highway. Man, I can't tell you on behalf of everybody standing up on this stage how thankful we are to be back with our dear family. We are so thankful to be back. And on a trip where you go from Turkey to Israel to Turkey, then into Russia, then Turkey, then Georgia, then you go back to Turkey, and you go back into Israel, spend time in Egypt, Israel, Turkey, and back home. Can I tell you that we needed every little bit of your prayers on this trip? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that uh, we went through that Istanbul airport. It was tremendous. Um, a couple things about this trip. We missed flights on this trip. We drove across nations on this trip. We had sleepless nights on the side of the road on this trip. We were escorted by men with submachine guns on this trip. We stayed in some very hairy hostels on this trip. We crossed over from Egypt to the Promised Land on Passover on this trip. We were stopped and frisked in the Istanbul airport no less than five times on this trip. And we preached the gospel to friends that we made every day on this trip. It was a very eventful trip. And we couldn't have, we couldn't have done it without your prayers. We thank you so much for the seriousness at which you approached your prayers. From the bottom of our hearts, we couldn't be any more thankful to you guys because we truly, I mean, desperately needed them. And when you guys and your prayers touched the heavens, it touched us as well. Every single day, we met people that we made friends with, and we got to preach the gospel every day of this trip. And those doors were open because you were barraging the heavens with your prayers. Thank you so much. This morning, we want to share some of the trip with you, some of the revelations we, see, we received while we were gone. One of the uh, amazing things that when the, our pastors, they came back from Israel in November, one of the amazing revelations and uh, just the thing that stuck out to the most to me when they got to preach after was an event in Caesarea Philippi where Peter got a revelation from the heavens about who the Christ was. That was an amazing revelation. Well, we also got to stand in Caesarea Philippi, and some of the guys got some amazing revelations there. I want to open up this service talking about a revelation that I got in a stuffy plane from Istanbul. A little bit different environment, but a very real revelation. I uh, sat down and was talking to uh, a man, and at the beginning, he had some really good scriptures to share. Uh, he had some extra biblical stuff that he was talking from, and I didn't quite understand that. But we started talking about the baptism in the Holy Ghost, and we started talking about all sorts of things. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit. We went through the whole thing. And about halfway through, he said, yeah, can, I, can I tell you something? Um, I'm a Mormon, and uh, I live in Salt Lake City. And, you know, half the stuff that I'm telling you right now, uh, it doesn't sound right to you because it comes from the priesthood out of Salt Lake City. And they made decisions, and it contradicts the Word of God, but that's okay. Because Mormons, 
We do all kinds of good things around the world. We have 60,000 missionaries around the world that go out and they do all kinds of awesome, humane things for, for this entire world. You know, guess we dig ditches. You know, we, we build buildings. We do all kinds of amazing stuff. So when I see that the, the word contradicts some things that the priesthood in Salt Lake City says, well, you know, it's, it's just something that I, I accept because, because I'm a Mormon. I'm blessed by God. My business is blessed by God. I have the 10th largest rental car agency in all of the U.S., and I own it. I'm blessed because I'm a Mormon. So it's okay if there's some contradictions. Wow. I got a revelation in that moment. And it's not something that is new to most of you, but it's new by experience. Christianity, following Christ is the only religion on the planet that causes you to truly die to your flesh and to die to yourself and to follow the King of Kings. Every other major religion on the planet does not require that same thing of you and I. In Buddhism, you're encouraged to get wealth because the function of wealth is to provide for you contentment. Buddha actually said, hunger is the greatest sickness and poverty is suffering. That sounds like a self-exalting religion to me. Hinduism, a self-realized person is God in human form. You can attain self-realization through meditation or devotion to whatever God that you choose to follow. If you're a part of this new age movement, you yourself are God. You control what you do. You see yourself as the deity, as part of the cosmos, as part of This whole world system, this universe, in fact, everything that you see, that you hear, that you touch, it's divine. That's a lie from the pit of hell. In Islam, you can fight, you can deceive, you can take whatever your right hand finds to take because it's pleasurable to you. The list could go on and on. You're your own God. Even in the cults, of Christianity and perverted Christianity. Even in these things like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Catholics, it's about you feeling good about what you're doing and being rewarded for it right now. Let's turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. It's an interesting when you start thinking about what you do on a daily basis. And what it's driven by. If what you and I do on a daily basis is driven by a pleasure or a sense of satisfaction that we get from doing something, self-serving, or it's driven by looking at the throne of God, looking at Jesus, and looking at His life and seeing how He lived, crucifying who we are, getting on that cross with Him and living like that every single day. Colossians chapter 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. Everybody say that with me. You died. Raise your hand and say, I died with Christ. Christ. That's everybody in the room. Nobody's exempt from that. And I know that we've... We've got some visitors here, and maybe you haven't died with Christ yet. But 
when you look at Jesus, when you look at His life, He is calling everyone to the same kind of calling in this room. He's calling you to your death. And it's so that His life, His Spirit, His Word, His everything can be your everything can live inside of you so that when you go on a trip or when you go wherever you're going throughout the day, whatever you do, His life is the light that really shines through you. It's His testimony that's really going out from you. It's not some perverted, self-serving attitude or self-serving life that you live. It's Christ's life crucified inside of you, shining His light. That is an amazing thing. If you noticed in these verses, it says, set your mind on things above. That's what Pastor Eric has been talking about for the last four days or so. Lift up your eyes, church. Lift up your eyes and look at the throne of God. Stop looking at the ground because when you look at the ground, you remain the way that you are. None of us want to, want to remain where we are right here today. We want to go forward. We want to drink from that torrent that Judah was talking about on Wednesday night. We want to go forward into all that God has. We can't stay here. We have to move forward into that. When you read a scripture like this, you might ask yourself, do I have the real deal? You have the real deal when you're looking at Christ and you can see your life being transformed into His on a daily basis. That's how you have the real deal. That's how you become a real Christian. None of us have arrived. None of us are there, but we're striving for perfection in this area as a church. We are absolutely going at it with all of our heart and encouraging each other along the way. This is not merely a New Testament concept. It's probably not surprising to most of you, but let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're going to read in verse 19 and see. See what was proclaimed in the Torah. Long before this letter to the Colossians was ever written. Church, you there? All right. I missed hearing that from you guys. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. Oh, yes. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Man, I I love that we can see in the Torah of God, the Lord is your life. No more of this what's in it for me mentality. No matter where we go, no matter what what meeting we're on our way to, no matter what task we have during the day, it doesn't matter what's in it for you. We got to get out of that kind of mindset. We have to renew our death in Christ, and it has to be renewed on a daily basis. We've got to renew it in ourselves today. Because being in this church service, it even even me sitting and getting to preach with these men up here, it's not about what's in it for me or what's in it for them or what's in it for you. It's about us showing up here like Christ. Amen. Christ was that living, breathing Torah. It was Him. And it was spoken about Him in Deuteronomy 30. Oh, man, uh, I just love this. Second Corinthians chapter 4. We always carry around 
in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. The secret is that we know that the rest of the world must discover this through us. Dying with Christ is really life. That's the secret to this whole thing. Dying with Christ, in doing that, you experience life to the fullest. The last thing I want to say. When we arrived in Moscow, it was sub-degrees in Moscow. And we're walking from the Red Square, and we're walking around right by the train station. And we notice, in this terrible weather, we notice a, a young man following us. And what we're doing is we're walking around and we're praying and we're asking the Lord to show us, illuminate something. We're praying together, we're worshiping together, we're singing songs together. And just saying, Lord, we're, we're dead right now. Would you bring somebody's life to us? Would, would you allow them to see the light of you inside of us right now? And a young man from Tajikistan named Ali comes up to us. He's been following us for about five minutes throughout the train station because he saw some sort of light inside of us, and he was curious about it. And at the end of the day, he had led us all around Moscow. He had uh, allowed us, uh, showed us a place where we could buy those funny hats that you guys saw. We went everywhere with him and he with us, and we got to share the gospel and see that change in his life, but it never would have happened if we weren't dead that day. And every day after that, if we weren't dead to our own plans and desires, and we're just put ourselves on the line, on the table, said, Christ, would you do something today? Amen. That's why we saw the people that we did. That's why the things were illuminated to us. And that's what we have to do right here, right now, today. Amen. Wherever we are. Amen. You're going to hear some testimonies this morning about how carrying around the death of Jesus in our bodies produced his life inside of other people that we met. Jesus himself is the greatest example that we have of being dead to self. He left all of his glory in the heavenly realms and he came to this earth as a little tiny baby having to do all the things that you and I did growing up. But he left it all. Amen. So there's countless stories uh, that we'll continue to tell for years to come. But being able to travel with your teacher and some of your closest friends, uh, just like Nick said, you know of these places you read in Scripture throughout Israel and Turkey. But when you see it, even if for the second or third time, experience can breed a new revelation. Yeah. And it did for me. Um, Nick left off with the birth of Jesus. So you have to imagine the king of everything, the king of the universe, taking on human form as a baby. And the one who fed Israel in the desert is now having to be fed by a mother. The one who provided everything for his people is now learning to eat. The one who created everything is now having to learn how to build from his father. The one who has been... Uh, Putting in the minds of men his word and his ways and his will is now learning the mitzvahs as a student. And it's easy to conceptualize that, but I saw it in a new way when we went to Capernaum or Kafir Nahum, which is the home of Nahum the prophet. So we started in Mount Hermon, which was a colorful experience, and we 
we went to Caesarea Philippi and we worked our way down to Capernaum. And we walk into this fishing village and it's all basalt rock, which is this dark black rock. And it's porous and it's, it's not cut real well. It's rough cut stones and they're uneven and they've built their homes on the Sea of Galilee and they were fishermen. And this is where the God of all creation chose to start his ministry. He could have walked into the leading synagogue of the day. He could have went and sought out the elite of Israel and called them to himself and said, well, we got a head start. Uh, just go implement in a, in a different way what you've learned. No, he went to the poorest fishing village that was a no-name, and he began raising young men who were the simple, the low class, but he poured onto them heavenly revelation. So let's open up to Zechariah 9 and start in verse 9. Before that, uh, one thing that struck me about walking into this village in a way that it's difficult to explain but Jesus had such humble origins. It was, he was so humble. He was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. And the, the religious uh, ideal of the day was, what can come from Nazareth? Anything good? But yet, the God of all creation came from Nazareth. Capernaum. What can you get out of Caper- Capernaum other than fish? Well, Jesus saw something different. And today, if you go there, there's a Catholic mosque or whatever you call those. It built over what's suspected to be Peter's home. And it, it, it is funny watching these men walk around in robes. But when you look with a human eye, it can look satire. But when you look through the eyes of the word, it is terrifying. So they built something like the Millennial Falcon over Peter's home. And they're trying to build their own kingdom because... To man, who's not led by the Spirit, the aesthetics is what makes you religious. And the irony is that they're in a fishing village surrounded by water and millstones. My question to you and my challenge, because we understand humility, and we're trying to walk it out every day. But if you can join with me in this experience, you'll begin to view maybe what you need to chip away in your life. For example, maybe you've been put in humble soil. And from that day, you've been trying to build your own building on top of it and saying that your foundation is right. Your foundation is humble, and you can reference back to it. But what you're really living in is your own palace that you built by your own strength. Let's look at Zechariah 9, verse 9. There, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Amen. We got the king of glory. He's bringing salvation into Jerusalem, and the people are going to rejoice. The Messiah has come. What do you expect? Are you expecting a king, king ornate with jewels and uh, all the bells and whistles? We go to John chapter 12. I think the people were expecting something a little bit greater, a little more 
impressive. Because in John 12, we won't read through it for the sake of time. But Jesus, he gets on the donkey and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. And the disciples don't understand it first. Maybe they were expecting something a little more elaborate. But the reason Jesus did this was to fulfill the will of the Father. He could have walked in and said, I am the king and this is my throne and set it up right there. And he would have had the right to do it. But because he did not operate under his own authority, he sought to lay down his will, just like he had done to become a baby, just like he had done to become, uh, to be born in Bethlehem, to grow up in Nazareth, to call men from Capernaum. He wasn't seeking his own will and his own glory. He was only doing that, the will of his father. And so in John 12, he fulfills the will of his father, the mark of a humble man. And in John 13, we have the ultimate example. Start in verse 1. It was before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Say full extent. Full extent. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's go to verse 12. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Undoubtedly, Jesus is the example of humility to lay down his kingship in the heavenlies, to take on the form of a man and serve the unworthy, the unequipped, the rejects, and give them the very words and key to life. So what do you expect when the word becomes flesh? The call for today is how will you lay down your life? How will you rip off the foundation that you built over what God has given you in the humble soil, your Capernaum? How will you take that off and begin seeing the word manifest in your life the way Jesus did? And the way you do that is you read what Jesus is in his word. The keys to humility in the Tanakh. Amen. Amen. How are you guys doing today? We are excited to be back. This is an astounding trip. We enjoyed every portion of it. And say it's taken us a little bit of time to process all the details. We've seen some astounding things. We're realizing how great our God is amongst the rest of the gods. Realizing how Ordinary in what humble states Jesus started in. And yet, this gospel has come as far as us. I want to tell you about my favorite experience on the trip. So, we went to Moscow first. It was the first place that we actually landed and were continuing to make connection after connection. (laughs) We didn't know anybody in Moscow. But we showed up believing that God had given us a word that we would find men who were hungry for the gospel. And after our first couple days that had been relatively 
disappointing, difficult, first hostel we were staying in, the people were strangely difficult to deal with. It's like they were looking for a chance to pick a fight with an American. And shortly before we get in the car to go get on a flight to Sochi, which failed, Justin and I snuck off one morning to go look for a synagogue. We happened to find that synagogue in that winter wonderland, and we ran into an Orthodox Jew on the way. I've had the extraordinary opportunity in my life to preach on almost every inhabited continent, multiple languages, different people groups of all colors. I have never had the opportunity to sit and witness with an Orthodox Jew who reads Torah every day and is hungry for Messiah to come one day. We had the opportunity to share with that Orthodox Jew why we were here and the fact that we loved the Tanakh, we loved the Nevim, we loved the Ketuvim, and that we loved the Jewish people. And he said, really? You don't hate us because we killed Christ? I've never met a Christian like you before. See, there is a lost and a dying world out there that has been fed a false gospel again and again. They've been fed a pseudo-Christ, they've been fed a Jesus that hates the Jews, and yet he's the king of the Jews. They've been fed Christians who take half a Bible, who take half of a calling. But what the world is longing for is men who have their whole Bible, who have all of Jesus and all that he is. He is the representation and the embodiment of the Tanakh. Isaiah 2 verse 3 says that the law will go out from Zion. Justin and I had no idea that morning that a couple of Gentile dogs would be the emissaries for the law that morning. But it did go out of Zion, and it did go to his people, his lost people scattered amongst the nations, and he is drawing them back. Amen. See, as we moved on in Moscow, and we got our plans changed, and we began to take on the Lord's plans, we did see extraordinary things happen. We did see men's lives turn around and change. I want to read to you out of Romans 10.10. In Romans 10.10, wait a second for you to get there. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For every, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I tell you this morning that this is a passage that I'm looking at in a new light every day. Many times we have missionaries that will stand up in churches throughout the United States. And I love our missionaries. I wish we had many, many more of them. And they will share this passage about somebody has to go and beautiful are the feet who shared the good news. And what they mean is, please, donate to me and I will go preach while you stay here. What the King of Kings is calling for is a church and a body of believers that take this seriously to where we want to preach it everywhere that we go. Where our feet are shad with that goodness of him. We are covered in him. See, but the law... That Isaiah 2 verse 3 is speaking about, the scriptures that Romans is speaking about, it's not just the gospel. It is the entire Tanakh that birthed the gospel. Come on, do you know what John 1 speaks about? The word was with God and the word has been made flesh. What is the name of that flesh of God? 
What is his name, church? Jesus. See, we don't serve a God. We serve Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is our Father. He is our Lord. He is our King. He is anything but ambiguous. We've been amongst the nations where there are many gods. There's gods in India. There's a God of Islam. There is even a God amongst the secular men, and they all refer to him as their master. But he has a radically different character. What God are you serving today? See, in this room, many men will say that they serve God. What is your God like? Is he a God who embodies the Tanakh? Is he a God who embodies Jesus Christ and calls you to lay down your life? See, I want to serve the one true God, and his name is Jesus. In Acts 5.20, even Peter gets an encouragement from the Holy Ghost. He was told, go forth and preach the full message. Go preach the full message. Some other translations say all about this new life. The original command was always that we share the full truth of God. See, in the absence of Jesus Christ, we are his ambassadors. What that means is that in this church, we are going to be filled with every area of his character. And we have to know his book from beginning to end, not just our favorite passages of it. But I want to encourage you, when you do that, humble, ordinary guys, without any special training or special skills, kind of a ragtag group that are mixed from all kinds of different places, when we show up and we apply what the word says, it breaks out. See, we just have to set it loose. It's for all men and all people. Let's turn to Psalm 110 and look at verse 7. We shared this on Wednesday night. You know, the fellowship of suffering is an extraordinary thing. Philippians 3 tells us about what we should be participating in. Proverbs 17 tells us that a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. See, I want to be a friend of God. And I want to see his people set free. So we're going to read in Psalm 10. We're going to back up just a couple verses. It says, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook. This is Strong's number. 5158. What this is, is it has to do with a river that is moving like a torrent. Anything other than a stream or a trickling, something that is uh, tame. It's interesting that we, when you look up this Strong's number, the very first definitions that come about are about a torrent, a raging river. There are plenty of other words to choose if you wanted to say stream. When speaking about the Messiah, they wanted you to know that he would drink of a torrent. He would drink of a raging river. Think of the Mississippi. Not some small park stream that your kids are playing in. He drank of something that nobody could handle. That it takes supernatural faith, supernatural power, the fullness of Christ inside of him to be able to do it. What he is calling us to do is to join into his character today. Into that full representation of Christ that affects the earth. And when we drink of that raging torrent by the grace of God and his supernatural power in our lives. His right hand is displayed. Kings will be crushed. Our enemies will fall and we will see souls set free. See, this church, we are going to liberate the sons of Ishmael. We are going to see the sons of Isaac set free. 
We're going to see revival sparked in lands that have been dead for a long, long time and are waiting for a river of life to come through. What we need to do is wholeheartedly embrace the fellowship of suffering, wholeheartedly embrace the full gospel and preach it unashamedly. When we begin to cultivate this kind of attitude amongst each other, the word of God will go out and it will affect nation after nation. See, I remember when this was just a living room church. I remember when it was a garage and we were talking about one day we might have 50 chairs and we sit here before you watching this little church plant families full time across the nations. What is God wanting from your life here today? That if you will give yourself fully over to him, he can do with you. Fellowship of sufferings is what we need. It's a good word, brother. Missed y'all. Whole lot. Uh, Nick said it, but I'm going to reiterate it. We felt y'all's prayers. We needed y'all's prayers. Somebody's prayers kept my eyelids open while we were driving. Not all the time, though. <laughs> y'all turn to John 13 with me. There were so many uh, places that we went uh, that, that came alive in Scripture. So many places that left a, a certain kind of impact that can only be felt when you're there, when you're on the ground. Pastor Eric talked Wednesday about uh, being in uh, Machpelah, in uh, Abram's tomb. Those places leave an leave a impact and a mark on you that in many ways haven't found the words to explain right now. But when I'm thinking about this trip and what took place and what we got to see, the most distinguishing factor, the thing that I, that, that's burning in, into the back of my head, my memory, or the people that we came into contact with. We came into contact with all different kinds of people, all different kinds of languages. Most of them didn't know how, didn't know how to talk to one another, much less us, especially not me as fast as I talk. <laughs> they, where are you from? <laughs> but... It's LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> as, as, we, as we got there and as we settled in and, and tried to figure out, you know, what the Lord wanted us to do, and what was going to happen, not knowing most of the time. We sat there and we worshiped. We got, we got in the word and we just started interacting with one another. And slowly but surely, we see stone faces turning to, to smiling faces. And we see frowns turning into like, inquisitive, like, you know, what are they about? And as we spent more and more time with people, the same thing kept coming up. Uh, you know, they had a lot of, you know, we got all kinds of churches around here. But we see you guys really love one another. And that's something that's, that's strange to us. Well, yeah, strange to me too before Jesus. But <laughs> they saw what Jesus had given us freely. Uh, it's easy to be here amongst church and amongst the, the business of life. And we, the, thing, the teaching that we get daily, the, the things that happen to us on a day-in, day-out basis, it can, get kinda, it can lose its luster. But when you see people there who have never tasted of this, who think that life's mission is to, you know, work, be miserable, deal with your circumstances, and then, you know, one day you get a dirt nap. When you see them come alive and taste of that, that river of life that, that Judah was talking about, Amen. It, it does something to you. This is what God has given to us freely. We didn't, we didn't earn it. Jesus Christ has deposited his spirit. He's given us his words, his life. And the response 
that we have to make, it's a, it's a choice. We get, to, we get to choose what they're responsible is. But what we saw on this trip is that people saw that we love one another. And it's the same thing that Jesus talked about in John 13, 34. I'm going to read it real quick. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Something in them was crying out for something in us. And the choice that we have here today, you know, sitting in, in, in this church, this spirit-filled, fired-up church with these crazy Christians, what kind of life what kind of Jesus are we going to present to those people out there? Because I, it, it hit me while we were in Russia, but it, it kind of, it was woven through the, the entire trip. The preparation that we get from our pastors, Pastor Matt, Pastor Wade, Pastor Eric, the elders. If we aren't prepared correctly to walk out this life, we don't go there and bring that, that living water. We're just visitors. We're tourists. You know, we're tourists in the name of Jesus. But when you go and actually walk out the things that we're learning, walk out what the word says, just like Jesus walked out. Jesus was that that living, breathing toy that showed us how to relate to God and how to be like him. When you do that, it changes any situation you're in. It changes your workplace. It changes a van with a with a submachine gun in the front, in the passenger seat, not knowing what's going to happen. It changes people. Now. What we have to decide is, what about us is going to change? Are you going to die and get out the way so that life could be shown in you like Nick talked about? Or we could just keep living our lives the way we want to, and you really won't bring any life to anybody. You, you do a lot of good things for yourself. We kind of build up our own kingdoms, but we won't actually affect the world around us the way we want to. I don't want to die and realize that my life meant nothing, that all the things that I gave myself to, my, you know, my job, my, my, my comforts, my, you know, everything that I, that I thought mattered. I don't want to die and realize that it was nothing. And I forfeited what was really life, life for other people, for the things that I wanted. We all got to make that decision. And it's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's not just a, a three-week trip in five countries and I don't know how many miles driven. It's a day-to-day decision. But I'm here to testify because we're not telling you nothing new. There's nothing that you can't go and read. There's nothing you haven't heard before. What we're coming to share with you is the impact it has when you actually walk that out, when you actually live that life. Yeah. Turn to Revelation 22 for me. This is what we saw. Uh, we heard a, a, a couple of testimonies from the people that we're going to. Uh, this, this young girl in, um, in Georgia named Nino. You know, sweet, bright smile, and all that kind of stuff. But you look at, you know, the country we're in, everybody looks kind of just, you know, uh, solemn. Sudden, if, if you know what that means. But what Nino said that struck me, she was like, wow, you guys are free. Like, if, if everybody worshipped like you, life would just be heaven. She's never seen this. And she... She doesn't quite know exactly what she don't know the revelation that she's getting right now. But if everybody lived this way, we would have heaven on earth. And that was Jesus coming to us to show us how to have heaven on earth. Now, we're nothing special. That's the the crazy thing about this. It's not it's not about us. We're we're not some great men. (laughs) Most times we're quite pitiful. 
But God uses us because we, we, we see his word and we see the things that it's done in our life and we want to share that. And that's the same charge that he's given all of us. In Revelation 22, when the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding this fruit every month. It, it, never, it never got old. It never, it never lost its luster. Sometimes our walks can lose their luster because we don't see, you know, the immediate benefit of, you know, what we're doing and, you know, everything that we're dying to, all these sacrifices. We don't see the immediate benefit of it. But things done for the Lord, they never fail to bear fruit. He says, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in the city and his servants will serve him. This that God has freely given us, you know, and he will give you if you so choose to take up that mantle. Don't know everybody in here, so I don't know where you're at. If you choose to take up that mantle, it heals nations. But it starts by healing your heart. It's going to start by by fixing your family, by healing your your family, and eventually it will heal a nation. But we have a choice how we respond to it. And that's the that's the most important thing that you could do is make that choice. Uh, We found looking back, looking back on a trip that a lot of times we didn't know what we we didn't know where we're going. But God gave us a choice. And looking back at it, he blessed that choice because he his spirit is in us and he he's longing and wanting the word to the world to receive this this fixing, this 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 healing, this way of life, this uh word healing for the nations. Judah mentioned it in Isaiah two, and it says the same thing in Micah four. That the law will go out from Zion and many peoples will flock to it. They will flock to this law. They will flock to this way of life. Now, the question that that we have to ask ourselves and answer is how much of the life are we showing? How much how much are we being like Jesus? Because that will be what actually changed people. We've been blessed with his word. He's given he's given us the, the the rivers of living water right here in this book and right here in our hearts. It shows us how to put the world back together. A person at a time, a family at a time, and a nation at a time. And what my brother Teresa is going to share is that the impact that that word, the living word, left on his disciples. Amen? Amen. So uh, I want to share with you one of the, one of the most profound um, places for me on the trip. Uh, you know, from... Uh, the frost of the Red Square to the shores of the Red Sea, we've seen uh, so many amazing things. While we're on the trip, we saw the biggest Russian Orthodox churches that you can find in Russia. We saw the biggest mosques that you can find in Turkey. And we saw the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And we went all the way to Egypt and saw the biggest monument to the known world up to the 1900s in Egypt. We saw some profound things, but... To me, what stuck out to me the most is that area where Jesus brought his disciples. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, is where we will begin. It says, Now... 
when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus we're speaking of. This is the man that Peyton was preaching about, born, born to a woman, king of the universe, started in humble beginnings. It says, now when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So what's so profound about this is we got to sit at the exact spot where Jesus did this. And to me, this is one of the most profound places on the trip. This is one of the most profound places in, on the earth to me. What, what you see when you go there is just a humble countryside. Of course, there's a, there's a church that was built by the, by the uh, Orthodox Church. They built a church on the site that they suppose it really happened, but when you look at the Scriptures and examine it, it doesn't make sense. So you go over to another area where it seems just to fit perfectly with what the Scripture says, the exact locations. You go there, and what do you see? Not much. You just see a mountainside. You know, you could see in the distance all of the tour buses. They're all going to all the other sites that are more prominent and everything. But when you're sitting at the Mount of Beatitudes... You don't see much. But what you feel there is you feel, you can feel that this is the place where Jesus took His disciples and He taught them. And what He taught them was the Word that He received from heaven, what was precious to Him, what would cost Jesus His life. That's what He was giving His disciples in the moment. And you can't help but to sit there and feel like one of the disciples listening to your teacher. You see, what this represents in our lives, this represents the place that God has you in that is in absolute obscurity from the rest of the world, and it's just you and Jesus. And you're receiving His words, and you're taking them to heart. What's so profound about this situation is think about where the disciples went from there. Where did they go? Some believe that that, uh, the disciples went all the way as far as Russia, walked, all the, way, all the way as far as Russia, to India. The gospel made its way all the way through Asia Minor, which we call Turkey, on to Europe. And some suspect that even as far as Spain. Can you imagine all of that starting on a humble mountainside where the disciples were so close to their rabbi? They were so close to their teacher that he knew them by name. He knew every single one of them. He knew what they struggled with. Can you imagine that? And what else is profound is imagining what will come through this body in every life that is, that is seated here this morning. What are the possibilities of us? Here we are right now on a mountainside listening to the teachings of Jesus. Amen. Where will we all be in 15 years? Amen. It's unimaginable. And yet we will all look back to that moment when we were all together listening to our rabbis. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible to me, and, 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 and I try to think in the future, but then I also think in the present, and then I think in the past. And, and, and somehow I can't wrap it all together in my mind, but what I, what I know I feel is the Spirit of Jesus on my life and on this church and what He's doing in us. It's an amazing thing when you feel close, close to Jesus, isn't it? Yeah. You know, what, what, what really saddens me is when we walk around and we just don't feel that close to Him. Although it's, he's not far off. What does Acts 17 say? He put us all in, the, in the, the places that we are so that we might call out to him. Although he's not far off. He's very near to us. One of the situations that, that 
just gripped me on this trip is you know, we've, we've been all over Russia. We've seen God do some amazing things. Been all over Turkey. We're seeing God do some amazing things. You know, there's, there's college kids hearing, hearing the gospel. We're making, making friends, making new friendships, you know, solid friendships that are going to last into the future. And for some reason, something gripped me. Uh, we, were, we, we made our way to Georgia, not the state, the country. It's on the tip uh, of the Black Sea, the southeast, southeastern tip. And we're there, we're eating a meal. And I couldn't help, but I, I couldn't help but have a thought just kind of lingering around in my mind. And I was just thinking to myself, why? Why have we not found our supposed man of peace? Although we've met many, many people that probably could be that in the future. But in that moment, I'm asking, Lord, why? Why, have we, why, have, why are we not here yet? Why are we not living here? Lord, Lord, when is it going to happen? When is the time going to come to fulfill what you promised? Lord, I'm so eager to step foot into the land that you give me. I'm so eager to step into the land that you have promised us, a swan. Lord, I want my friends to be planted in Turkey. I want to be planted in Israel. And I'm asking the Lord, why hasn't it happened yet? And as I'm sitting there, a little bit, a little bit discouraged, a little bit frustrated, a little bit kind of just thinking, Lord, am I doing something wrong? Lord, should we, should we be doing anything different? Should we be, should we, you know, at the restaurant we were at, there was a, a woman doing karaoke, loud as could be, right? A, a woman from Ukraine doing Ukrainian karaoke. And here we are wishing we could be talking to people and, and witnessing to them. We're all tired, but we just want to witness to the people. And yet this loud, blaring, gnawing noise is coming over the, the, the speakers, right? And in that moment, when I'm a little bit frustrated, a little bit frustrated at, at I haven't arrived there yet, a little bit frustrated at the Ukrainian woman, a little bit upset about the time, all of a sudden, something unimaginable happened power went out. The power went out. And what do we do in good old LCM fashion? We sing the horse and the rider. (laughs) There in Georgia, in the dark, we sang horse and the rider from Exodus 15. What we thought is that we were just doing what we always do, right? Because this is who we are. This is LCM. What we didn't know is that the table in front of us were a group of three Jewish Israeli brothers who were listening to this song being sung from Exodus 15, and they were videoing it on their phone. How, how could this be in the moment that you are, you are at your deepest point, you're crying out, begging for the Lord, and the answer is right there. Could it be that the Lord is waiting for us to get hungry. He's waiting for us to get desperate. He's waiting for us to cry out to Him. And then He moves in a miraculous way. Amen. We sat down with those Israelis. We, we, we talked with them about our love for the Torah. The, the Ketuvim, the Nevi'im. We talked to them about the Tanakh. We talked to them about Isaiah 49. And all of the great things in the Word. And they grabbed us by the chin. They said, please, when you come to Israel, call me. I want you to come to my house. And I want you to eat, d- eat dinner with us. Now can you imagine that happening? out of that situation. I want to tell you, before things like that happen, you, you don't think that this is possible. Think about, 
Where's Steve and Joyce? In here, they're probably in the children's church. Teaching in the children's church. Think of how long crying out for a promise of God to be fulfilled. Do you think it was easy in those moments when they didn't see it happening, when the doctors kept saying it couldn't, when you need to do this, you need to take this medicine? Do you think it was easy to sit there and listen to that? Do you think it was, do you think that, that in their mind they thought the will of God's coming tomorrow? No. But when it happens, it does something to you. I want you to turn to Isaiah, or uh, Psalm 139. Psalm 139, starting in verse 1, says, O Lord, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in. Behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too lofty for me to attain. You see that moment when God is answering your promise. And you know in that moment that God has bridged the gap. Between the silence that is in between you and the promise. When God has pierced through that silence. And he has answered your cry and your prayer. And he has fulfilled his promise to you. And you know that his hand is on you. Oh, such knowledge is too wonderful to think of, isn't it? I want to tell you, church, that He is not far from each and every one of you. When you pray to Him, when you cry out to Him, in your most desperate moment, in your time of need, when you need Him to come through the most, God will hear your prayer, and in due time, He will answer you. Psalm 34 says, This poor man called out to the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. They have no shame. You see, what we need is we, we must become like a poor man crying out, Oh Lord, I want Your will to be accomplished on this earth. Lord, I want Your promises that You have given me to be fulfilled. Lord, I want to see it. And that moment, I want to encourage you that God hears you. He hears your cries. He hears your prayers. What did He say about the the Israelites in Egypt? I have heard the cry of my people coming up to me, and now I'm about to do something. I want to tell you that I don't know when God's going to fulfill His promises to you. I don't know when He's going to fulfill all mine to me. But the most comforting part of walking with Him is knowing that He is close to you and His hand is on your life. As we continue, Bosch is going to share... A little, bit, a little bit more about the trip and about how God is, is forming amazing things despite our lack and despite our, our, our vision. God's forming amazing things. But I want to leave you with something. I want to leave you with the knowledge that God has lifted you up. He has done amazing things in this body. Think of all of the things God has done for you to get where you are right now. Think of all the miracles, Spencer. Think of all of, all of the miraculous things He's done, Chris. Everything God has done, this ought to let you know that His hand is on you. Amen? Amen. Thank you, my brother Treister. Uh, I love you, man. 
I love you because you are hot after Jesus heals all the time. Amen. And uh, I really enjoyed rooming with you and having those late night chats. That was uh, sweet. My segment of this is to encourage. All right, I want to let everyone know that, yes, you have a calling. And those of you that are firm in your calling and that know what the Lord has set up for you, there's a lot more to it than just that. Does it sometimes feel like your calling is like this daunting, long, faraway task that you almost apparently seems like you'll never find? Well, let me tell you something, guys. The Lord has the plan. The Lord has the plan in his hands. And what we need to do with that plan is to be faithful and true. As Treister said, it can be discouraging at times. You know, we, we think about these things daily. We're always contemplating, what is God going to do with us next? What, what, is, what, what, what is the next thing that we're looking for to serve the Lord in? And sometimes it can be discouraging. Sometimes you don't hear. When you do, it's like the, the greatest thing ever. Let us turn to Isaiah 19. 19 through 20. Everyone there? In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord... Because of their oppression, he will send them a savior and defender, and he will rescue them. Yeah. So, we know a lot about Egypt in the Bible. We know how God dealt with them. We know how God has, has called them to judgment. But you know, as we moved through Egypt, we, we ended up in Eilat, Israel, and we uh, crossed the border there. We planned a trip to go all the way to Cairo. And uh, as we're moving through, we're, we're very unsure because we don't know the land. We don't know the people. We have this uh, trip ahead of us, but we have no idea what is in Cairo either. So we're, we're sort of on pins and needles, but yet trusting the Lord. But we don't have a clue what, what we're looking at. Uh, as we move into the interior, we're crossing the Sinai Desert. Uh, all of a sudden, we start contemplating the bigger picture of what this all is. And Ibrahim and his family just settles on our minds and, yeah. and on our spirits. I mean, it's just heavy. And so now we're starting to see the purpose for why we're here. All right, we are now considering our lives with respect to Ibrahim's calling. Right, so, so now we're looking around going... Yeah, this is part of dying for our brother's vision. Amen. And we really do need to be here. We're looking around at rocks and sand for 10 hours. Okay, we're, we're in a van with men that we don't know who they are. They're armed, automatic weapons. We have a national police escort ahead of us. We really don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we're, we're sort of at their mercy. Yet at the same time, we're trusting God because our brother has a vision about that country. 
Habibi. We heard that a few times. Habibi. As we're moving through, we arrive at Cairo, and uh, the most amazing things occurred in Cairo. First of all, we had made all these plans in Cairo. Uh, none of them could be confirmed because they didn't happen over the Internet. It's, it's like we never even made a single uh, reservation of any kind. Well, we arrive at the place, and um, the guy that is checking our reservation says, nothing here. I don't have any record, and I don't have any room. So we're uh, looking around going, there's nine of us. What are we going to do, Lord? And uh, the next thing we hear is, don't worry. Um, I have a house, and I will put you up in my house. So so now we're, now we're starting to lift our spirits a little. We're, we're now starting to feel like we're, we're welcome in this country. He kicks out his parents. <laughs> to go and live with his sister. He kicks out his kids to go live with his uh, a brother. And, uh, and now we have this six-bedroom penthouse entire floor apartment to our disposal. Beautiful. So we're now, now we're starting to really see how the plan is unfolding. <laughs> really amazing. The same guy, uh, while we were in Cairo, he set up our entire stay. He said, uh, what are you guys going to do? Well, we're here to pray and see what the Lord is going to tell us about, about our, our brother's country. He says, don't you worry. I'm going to set it all up. We had camel rides and all kind of stuff. We went out. I mean, it was, it was a done deal from A to Z. The Lord's hand was in it. We went in there empty. We went in there not knowing anything. We went in there really not even knowing if we were going to arrive, and the Lord took care of the whole thing. Kind of impossible, you know. Kind of a kind of an impossible deal. You know, the, the thing that really inspired me, uh, that really got my attention. After a while, um, you know, the bus the bus ride to Cairo was long and difficult, and we were kind of on alert. We didn't know what we were dealing with. We were kind of, uh, you know, looking at the playing field, seeing what we could do. You know, I mean, whatever happens. Uh, on the way back, that same crew, you know, they started to relax. Uh, they began to interact with us more. We started dancing to their music. Yeah. Um, they just kind of came alive. The driver was like, hands off the wheel. <laughs> you know, going very fast. But we could see a transformation happening. Transformation in, 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 in this uh, little group of men. You know, everything started off being quiet and solemn, and it, it, it turned. It very obviously turned. And, I, and, and what I believe happened is they were able to experience our interactions among ourselves, and they really liked it, and that's what gave them confidence to, to open up and, uh, and, and to be themselves. That was a... There was a change. There was there was a, a transformation for sure, and so so I'm thinking. Yesterday I was praying about this. You know, my my uh, my trip priorities or in my order of priorities in which what I enjoyed the most on this trip. Yesterday they were changed. You know, I I started off with Caesarea Philippi, and then yesterday the Lord showed me Egypt with my 
with my brother in mind. And so now this is the most important thing to me as of right now. But the thing about it is, is that the Lord is sitting here and he's transforming my brother, Ibrahim, and his family, making a complete transformation, getting him ready so that he can be launched to his country and transform the whole thing. That is amazing. This is the way that the Lord is showing it to me. And, and I love it because there is real meaning and real purpose in that. As we were sitting in Turkey, uh, we were interacting with Lumberjack and with Cesar. The same things started to occur. The same things started to occur. These guys are interested in how we're interacting. They want to know how we handle and how we deal with our families. They want to know why we do the things we do. We, we talked about many, many things, some, some cultural, most biblical, and they're interested in this stuff. You know, it's, it's no longer we're just hanging out. Now these principles are starting to be converted from our behavior into principles of Christ, and this is what they're asking. So the transformation is really starting to occur wherever we go. But I want to just encourage you with, with, uh, with another scripture. If it seems to you like you're far away from your calling, stop thinking that way. Because the Lord is still in your work. If you think that you are uh, too big to allow the Lord to deal with you in your calling, isn't it appropriate for the potter to deal with the clay any way he wants? Yes. Can we agree on that? Let's go to 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. All right. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as someone understands slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So can we just stop a little bit? And consider that the Lord needs to prepare all of us. He needs to make us worthy to hit the road so that we're ready. Otherwise, we're wasting our time. Our job is to remain faithful to the calling. So whatever he has instructed you to do on a daily basis, do it. Show your faithfulness and obedience. And then you will be sure of your calling. Because he will drop things on you continually and you'll know. But the faithfulness and the obedience is what's important here. Let him take care of the larger picture. You do what you need to do right here today and tomorrow. Agreed? Agreed. I want to just reiterate again. Uh, it seems like everybody here has talked about John 13. It popped in everyone's head this morning and it's a good thing because this is how we are to live. You know, when we live in harmony and when we live in love, people notice that. This is a testimony without words. People always ask, what are you doing? They always ask, you guys are interesting and different. You know, why is that? Because they notice something different. It's a great way to explain things. So (laughs) living like this, in many instances, you can witness to people without even saying a word. They will come right to you. They like what they see. Please be encouraged. Please be encouraged. I want to challenge you today to let go of your own plans and your own desires and what you deem necessary for you to do for your calling. 
throw all that stuff away and just listen to what God's telling you. Amen. Because really, he has the, the stuff that we need. We, we, had, we don't have a clue what we need to do, but we need to listen to him. Amen. So can we just agree that we'll shed all that stuff and let him direct our ways? Amen. Because we know that so many of us in here are called to the nations. It's not a five-minute process. The Lord does nothing in a hurry. There's a lot of preparation. There's, there's years and years and years to get ready for this stuff. So let's let the Lord take care of it. Hallelujah. What a word. All the supernatural things that happened on this trip was only possible, LCM, because you guys were praying for us. All the supernatural things we saw, the experiences that shaped these brothers' lives, and it's an honor to be with you guys up here. So when Nick talks about the in light of Christianity, when he talks about Christianity in light of other religions, and he talks about it where Christianity calls you to die to yourself while other religions call you to die to the commands of God and live for yourself, we think about those humble origins that Peyton talked about, the, horrible, the humble origins of Jesus and what it meant for him and also what it means for you. See, when we got to Judah, he talked about the specialness of the Tanakh, the specialness of the Jewish people, and the specialness of our God. In Moscow, Justin Linton was able to see the impact of fellowship that the word of God was having, the spirit of God was moving amongst our midst. With Justin Treister, we saw the disciples, the disciples and their relationship with Jesus, how close they were, and he was able to see the will of God being manifest in their lives. And when we got to Elder Baj, it was always aimed at the transformation of our hearts. We saw this transformation happen in the hearts of those in Egypt and our friends in Turkey. So all of this points to one thing. From Nick all the way to Elder Bosch points to the razor-thin line of the gospel. And this razor-thin line happened in my experience for me in Masada. See, Masada was built by Herod the Great. And it was the last Jewish stronghold against the Roman army. And so we're walking through the site, and one of our brothers shares a testimony, a story with us about a missionary in Iran. And he says that this missionary in Iran was arrested and thrown into prison. And he says that while he was in prison, he started to get discouraged. They took his Bible away. He started thinking about committing suicide. He took his bed sheet, tried to hang himself. That didn't work. They took the bed sheet away. He then tried to drown himself in his own bucket within that prison cell. And he said, what happened next was supernatural. He said, Jesus appeared to him and said, now that you're dead. See, at that point, that the missionary had no more will to live. He's at his wit's end. He has nothing else to live for. And he said that at the moment where he has finally given up, he said, Jesus appeared to him and said, now that you're dead, do what I tell you to do. Now that you're dead, he's a missionary. He has a calling over his life. He has the marks of, of the gospel shown in him being beaten and him being abused. He's in prison. But Jesus says to him, now that you're dead, do what I tell you to do. Oh, man, that pierced my heart like a razor thin. I mean, it, it absolutely struck me. Because I started thinking to myself, Abimbola, you're here on the mission field right now. Do you still have things? Do you still have errors in your life that you're living for? Let's turn to Deuteronomy 30. 
Say there once you're there. See, in Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 15, it says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to possess. See, the background of this story is, Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel. They're getting ready to cross into the promised land. So when he says, I set before you today life and death, he says, I set before you today the razor-thin line of the very words of God. The razor-thin line of life and death. So when I'm thinking about this in my own life, being on the mission from being with my brothers and sharing the gospel, I'm asking myself, Abin Ball, is there still errors in your life where you, you've carved out for yourself that you still want to live? What about you today, church? Do you still have errors in your life that are carved out for yourself? Do you still have a will to live for yourself? See, when Moses was telling them, I said before you, life and death, he was saying it for today, not tomorrow or the day after. He said for today. So think about your life. That raise a thin line of the gospel, the call that God is calling to, that Jesus is calling to, that fellowship of suffering with him. Today, every hour, every minute, every second. What is he showing you right now that needs to die? Showing you right now that you've, you've carved out for yourself just a little me time, just a little time of Netflix. What is he showing you that you need to lay down? When Moses asked him that question, I'm sure Moses, he, he, he expected a response out of them. So when I ask you the question of what do you choose? When the gospel being presented to you, when, when I say, what is it that you're going to choose today? What is your response? What is your response, church? Life. What is your response? Life. So the thing is to find life in him, it requires death in yourself. Amen. So being in Israel, being in Israel and, and, and walking around and seeing that the people are there, the land is there, the currency, the language is still alive. It did something for me because this is more than a story. Joy, can you put up that picture? What we have here, we're in Jerusalem. And we're standing there in the land that God has promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, we we know to our left is the Mount of Olives, and to our right is Gehenna, which is uh, present-day Palestine. But back then, they considered that place hell to the right. See, we know that Jesus is supposed to come back like in Revelation 19. He's supposed to touch down like it speaks in Zechariah. He's going to touch down on Mount Olives and all the dead will be raised. But there's one thing I want to show you guys. We understand that the resurrection of the dead is going to take place on Mount Olives to our left. But has anybody noticed the razor thin line between the kingdom of heaven to your left and hell on earth to your right? It's outstanding, isn't it? It's outstanding how close we are. How close we are when we preach the gospel to others and I realize that there's a fine line between them. Turn to Philippians 3. And say there when you're there. See, I think the, I think Paul understood this concept. So when we get to Philippians 3 and we read this, this will make more sense to you. Say there when you're there. See, in, in Philippians 3, 
Paul says in verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So as Paul is writing this, he's thinking. He knows that there's no area in his life that he's holding on to. He doesn't have a will to live in, in a particular area of his life. He's laid it down. He says, I have lost all things. And he said, goes on to say, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So the thing is, we're so familiar with what comes next in verse 10. But do we see how close Verse 7 through 9 is to verse 10. He talks about the losses he are, he, he's having, the loss that he, he, he's given up for the, for the gospel, for having that relationship with Jesus. And in verse 10, that we're all familiar with, it says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, but there's a razor-thin line in between that to get to that point. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow... To attain the resurrection of the dead. Can you put that picture back up of the Mount of Olives? So we notice that there's a fence between Mount, Mount Olives and uh, present-day Palestine. But is there something else that you guys notice in that picture? Graves? What else? A valley. Do you guys see that, that highway at the bottom there? See, the Christianity that we have today that Paul preached about was always meant to have a razor-thin line. See, that razor-thin line, it, it transforms who you are. It takes you from being up so far away from God and drawing close to him, like my brothers talked about, to having that, that impact, that, that fellowship with God. But even in the midst of that, we're never to forget of the specialness of who this book was originally written to. The specialness of the Tanakh, the specialness of the Jewish people, the people of God. So when I was thinking about this, thinking about the, the humble origins of Jesus Christ coming into this world, it all started with one man, one man who found himself in the king's highway, one man who found himself in Mount Moriah, having his, his, his son, the promised child that God said that he's going to have, and all this is going to be blessed through him, having his whole life on that altar, and getting ready to sacrifice him because he's counted the cost. See, the thing today is we know what happened in Abraham's life. We can easily flip a page and realize that, yes, the Lord stopped him from sacrificing Isaac. The Lord lifted up his eyes and, and gave him, some, gave him a, a ram to put on the altar. We, we can see that his life was blessed through that obedience. But what about you today? When we look at this highway, what side are you on right now? Which way are you walking? Are you, are you making your way from left to right in the sense that I go to church? I've heard, I've, I hear the gospel all the time. I know who Jesus is. I know, I know the Bible. My parents are pastors. This is nothing new to me, but yet you're descending from the resurrection of life straight into hell. But what, what about those who know exactly where they are and say, Abin Bola, I know exactly where I am today. I am living on hell on earth, but I really want resurrection life. And for a majority of you guys in here, I know where you are. You're, exper you're experiencing res resurrection life. 
You're experiencing it with others who love Jesus and they're experiencing resurrection life. But are there areas in your life where you know that the Lord is calling and say, this must die. This must be laid down. My word is a razor thin line. See, in Abraham's life, we know what happened. What about you today? Where are you today? Where are you on the king's highway? Where are you on the king's highway, church? And the question is, what are you going to find on this highway? Would it be resurrection life or death? I'm asking you guys a question. Would it be resurrection life or death? The truth is you find both, but it depends on which direction you're walking on and walking to. Please stand to your feet.